Good morning. Happy Sunday. Lord, we thank you for another day. We're going to go right into prayer and then into the word of God. Amen. Amen. Father God, in the name of your son, Jesus, we just come to you exalting praise, oh God, giving you praise, giving you honor, oh God, because you are so awesome, oh God. You have bestowed upon us your grace and your mercy, not because we're so deserving, but just because you are so awesome. And Lord, today we say thank you. Thank you, O God, for loving us when we have not loved ourselves, O God. Thank you, O God, for not letting loose of us, still holding our hands, still walking with us, still talking with us, still guiding us, O God still covering and protecting us. We thank you, God. We thank you. Lord, we ask that you open up the hearts and the minds of everyone under the sound of my voice. Let them receive your word, oh God. Let it penetrate their hearts and their souls. Let it guide and direct their paths, oh God. And Lord, I ask that every bit of flesh in me be shut down to complete this assignment today. We give you honor, oh God. We give you praise. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, I'm excited because we're still on the topic of the validity of the Bible. And I promised you that we would pick up and talk about the different biblical translations. And again, I get questions um, about the Bible, Christianity, and all of that, all of the time, to- all of the time. And one of the biggest questions that I get is about the Bible translations and which one is the best. And and it's no way to say which one is the best. And the fact that there are so many Bible translations is both a blessing and an issue. In some cases, it is a blessing in that the Word of God is available to all in various explanatory texts, languages, and lingos. Um, If a verse or a passage in one translation seems a little bit confusing, it can be helpful um, to compare it side by side with another translation. I do that personally myself when I'm studying the Word of God. I even have a parallel Bible, and if you don't know what a parallel Bible, a parallel Bible is two different translations in the same Bible and the verses are side by side. Um, I also use a study Bible, which is comes in various different translations, but a study Bible at the bottom, it will have commentary concerning the verse to help give you clarity as well. So all of those tools are a blessing. Um, it is difficult to say which translation is better. The best translation would be determined by the person's preferences. Um, and one's ability to relate to the interpretation of the textual content. Now, the King James Version and let's say the NAS Version um, take the underlying Hebrew and Greek words and they translate them into the closest corresponding English words possible. So in other words, that's a word-for-word translation. While the NIV and NLT take the original thought presented in the Greek and Hebrew and express that thought for thought. Now, many other translations attempt to meet in the middle. 
Paraphrasing is used in such translation as the Message Bible and the Living Bible, and it can help you gain a simpler perspective and meaning of a verse. I, you know, I quote from the Message Bible quite frequently, and I will let you know when I quote from the Message Bible because of the paraphrasing. I don't want anybody to think that I am taking anything out of context, but a lot of times the Message Bible, um, my daughter, my youngest daughter says the Message Bible just acts like it's just having a regular conversation with a friend. So, <laughs> um, for example, um, we would could say Alex is Lily's father or Ali Alex is Lily's paternal parent. Both sentences confirm that Alex is in fact Lily's daughter, although in each sentence it was expressed differently. So to determine the validity of Bible translations, you have to just be careful that the actual context, the meaning of the translation is not changing the message. Now, um, you can get into some translations that are questionable, that are used by other organizations and cults, and you have to be careful. One of the biggest things is look at capital G-O-D and lowercase G-O-D. If they're swapping out lowercase G-O-D for capital G-O-D, that is a invalid biblical translation and should not be one that you hold to because there's a big difference in capital G-O-D and lowercase G-O-D. Anywhere in the Bible where you see lowercase G-O-D, it indicates and refers to something ungodly, unworthy of worship, thereby changing the meaning of an entire verse if it is used to replace capital G-O-D. You know, Satan is tricky. He will use subtle things to derail us. Lowercase and uppercase letters seems to be a small issue, but it's huge, huge when you look at how it adjusts the meaning of the context and can significantly change one's entire perspective. Satan used a similar tactic when he spoke to Eve in the garden and tried to make something seem insignificant. It was the subtle details that led Eve into direct disobedience to the word of God. So just be careful with those translations. Um, you can always, always, always email me, go on the website, send me a message and ask me what I think about um, a certain translation if you find that one translation speaks to you louder than another. But the, the bottom line is find a translation that works for you, that keeps you engaged in the Word of God. That is the most important thing. Again, I, I have never had anybody complain about the Message Bible um, as being simple, in contact, direct, um, and given clarity to a lot of things. So I highly recommend that. I highly recommend that you have a parallel Bible where you may have the New King James Version or the King James Version and say the message and it's right there side by side to help give you clarity. Again, the most important thing is find a translation that works and keeps you engaged in the Word of God. The message of the Word of God is phenomenal. And there is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing that we will go through or be faced with that has not been addressed in the Bible. That I promise you. Amen. 
Now I want to read to you actual words spoken in opposition to the Bible by an atheist. This is what an atheist said about the Bible. Fables and fairy tales. A book written by men to appease human consciousness, keeping mankind hopeful and committed to something bigger than themselves. This is the opinions of many, even those that are on the fence as to whether they believe in God or not. And the reason being is most of the questions and the the leeringness, for lack of a better word, that some have are based on some biblical accounts that just are unbelievable, such as detailing speaking animals, the parting of bodies of water, the various other miracles. It tend to fuel thoughts of the Bible being full of fables and fairy tales. Thoughts and measures of disbelief come easy when one questions the existence of God. Whose mind can phantom all of the things that are going on in the Bible if they do not believe in an almighty God? I want to address some of the biblical accounts people tend to struggle with. First, there is Eve's conversation with the serpent. We may find it hard to believe that a serpent could talk and in a language a human could comprehend. What actually should be more important to us than the actual speaking of the serpent is the lesson. And the lesson is that we should always be mindful that Satan, who possesses the character of a snake, will come to us prepared, relatable, and speaking our language. What's important that we understand is that Satan is a user. When a person is demon-possessed, Satan will speak through them. Satan will use who or whatever will serve his purpose. Today, he's more likely to use another human, but in the Garden of Eden, there were no other humans for him to use. There was just Adam and Eve. So Satan chose to use what was available, and the snake was available. The account of Eve and the serpent by no means suggests that snakes were ever of the intellect that would have enabled them to speak coherently. And Bible scholars, generation after generation, agree that Satan was speaking through the snake and not the snake itself speaking on its own. The consensus is derived from the fact that there was no reason for any uninfluenced God-created creature to seek to deceive or destroy another. So any plan of deceit or destruction had to be the workings of Satan. Now in the story of Balaam's donkey speaking to him, scriptures are clear and bears witness to the power of God. As the scriptures read in Numbers 22, 28, it says that the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. God used the donkey to talk. 
This also lets us know that Satan does not have access to do or use anything that God does not have access to or can do. For Satan is not greater than God. Satan used a serpent to talk for him and God chose a donkey. The moral of the accounts of the speaking animals in the Bible is that deliverance and deception can come out and through anything or anyone. Therefore, it is important that we know the word of God so that we can discern the voice of God and not be deceived, not be destroyed by the agenda and the manipulation of the enemy. The second most questioned event in the Bible is the parting of the Red Sea. It's so funny, I read an article that was released years ago in the Washington Post, believe it or not. The Washington Post, secular newspaper, released an article alluding that the parting of the Red Sea, quote unquote, in real life would have been explained as a weather event. The article provides an analysis comparing the biblical account to what is scientifically referred to as a wind set down. A wind set down involves strong winds over 60 miles per hour, which creates a push of coastal waters, in turn creating a storm surge, which is known to blow harbors completely dry. The article concluded that the parting of the Red Sea would have been possible in extreme weather conditions in, again, quote unquote, real life, but is iffy in biblical times because it cannot be explained the timing which aligns with Moses holding out his staff that's detailed in Exodus 14 verses 21 through 31. Science seems to be willing to give God just a little credit for his ability to control nature, but at the same time, limit the extent of his power and his timing based solely on only what the human mind can perceive. In Matthew 19, 26, the scripture reads, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. The parting of the Red Sea is the single greatest act of salvation in the Old Testament and represents God's ultimate saving power and shows the depth and the extent God will go through to save us. Aside from those who want to argue the validity of biblical accounts, there are those who just blatantly address the Bible with a mindset of complete selfishness. It is peculiar how some will acknowledge and embrace scriptures concerning the blessings and giftings of God. But when it comes to corrections, the mandates, miracles, and commandments of God, they want to debunk the the validity of the Bible with nonsense like the Bible was written by man. Or the principles of the Bible are antiquated and were written for biblical times. I have a response for you this morning. Yes, the Bible was absolutely written by man, but inspired by God. 
The Bible was written over 2,000 years ago to address issues of mankind during those times. However, it does not take much research or exploration to see that the same issues, the same sins, the same temptations and fallacies they were dealing with in those times, we are still dealing with today. The truth of the matter is the principles of God have been tried, tested, and proven relevant in all space and time, as there is nothing new under the sun that proves and shows relevant in Ecclesiastes 1 and 9. See, God in his infinite wisdom certainly knew the times in which we live now would come. Because he's an all-knowing God. He knew humans would reach the day of selfies. An era in which our flesh would scream louder than his word. God is not all surprised at our reality show cultured mindset, which prompts us to exploit lies and create our own realities absent of God's purpose for our lives. All for entertainment and a hope of obtaining wealth that will not secure us a seat in the kingdom of God. God knew the world would become consumed with greed. He knew our flesh and greed would make it harder to abide by his word and his word would be the unpopular option. Take the time and read 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 5. I want you to know that this morning, with all that God knew and with all things considered, God still left us his word, untainted, consistent, unchangeable, and without an expiration date. I want you to imagine for a moment what it would be like serving a God who changed according to the trends of this world. We would not have anything to base our faith on and certainly have no reason to put our trust in God. God proclaims he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. A God who changes and wavers would be a recipe for disaster and leave so many doors open for deceit and demonic influences. 1 Corinthians 14, reads, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. It is because of God's consistency that we can trust his ability to protect and guide us. If he were a God who changes, his omnipresence, his omniscience and omnipotence would be of no value. Think about it. How can God, who has always been present in every space and time, who knows all and possesses all power, be one who needs to make changes? Whatever God creates or says is applicable in every time and space, as he knows every future challenge, legislation, temptation, obstacle, and excuse. His character is rooted in perfection. There is never a need to revise, realign, reinstate true perfection. And as Christians, if you are a believer, then you need to stand on the Bible, which contains a total of 66 books, 
39 Old Testament books and 27 New Testament books. Christians are often described as being arrogant and self-righteous for thinking the doctrine outlined in the Holy Bible is the only way to God. But it's okay. It's very interesting to me how some are so dedicated and loyal to a sports team that arguments and physical altercations ignite. But when a Christian is sold out and walks with conviction concerning defending team Jesus, glory to God, they're ridiculed and expected to compromise or tone down, you know, to bring it down. Their convictions concerning their faith and beliefs regarding righteousness, salvation, and eternal life. It's a little backward, wouldn't you agree? The biggest issue when discussing the validity of the Bible and society's acceptance is as a culture of people, we want to do what we want, how we want it, and as long as we want to do it. The world's standards is based on the concept of if it feels good, looks good, or pacifies my insecurities, then give me as much of it as I can get all while living independently of God's will and God's way. Simultaneously though, crying out, depending on God for our ultimate provision, protection, and weighing everything against his grace and his mercy. All other religious movements believe their religious writings are worthy of dying for. But it's only when Christians stand on the word of God that anyone is considered radical. The real underlying issue is most are comfortable with the word of God. It's the name Jesus that stirs controversy. Because it's on the name and the existence of Jesus that Christianity is built. Christians will always be ridiculed, mocked, and considered radical. So get used to it. In John 15, 18, the word reads, If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. Those are the words of Jesus. If truth be told, if Jesus was just a prophet, if Jesus was just a good teacher, if Jesus were not God, not virgin born, the world would have embraced him. See, we, we walk around and we don't want to offend this one or that one. And we find it easier to grasp an all-inclusive religious perspective as we spew words like all roads lead to God. When the truth is, if Muslims are right, then all other religions are wrong. If Jews are right, then all other religions are wrong. If Buddhists are right, then all other religions are wrong. If Scientology is right, then all other religions are wrong. All cannot be right. The real truth is not even two can be right. 
In Joshua 24, verses 14 to 15, it calls us to choose whom we will serve and then serve with sincerity, conviction, and faithfulness. What are you standing on this morning? And there are those who want to water down Christianity, keeping it, you know, all fluffy and full of sugar and spice with a mentality toward what it means to walk with Christ being watered down. When you stand and serve God with all sincerity and faithfulness, it will cause conflict. You will offend, disrupt lives, and even challenge some close relationships. Keep in mind the word of God teaches us that Jesus forewarned us that his coming would not exalt peace. Jesus knew those who chose to serve him and declared that they would endure ugly ridicule and backlash if they declared themselves as children of the most God, if they declared to believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, was crucified on the cross, and physically resurrected from the dead. It should never be the intent of a believer to be disruptive, argumentative, or offensive. We are to exalt truth with gentleness, kindness, respect, and the absence of judgment. However, with all those things in place and a heart toward the righteousness of God, the word of God prepares us for the real. God would not be God if he did not prepare us for the real world in which we live. The word of God tells us not to expect that out of our gentleness that we be embraced without disruption and offenses. But at the same time, you are charged to exalt the gentleness of Jesus Christ. Righteousness will always offend. Righteousness is supposed to disrupt the sins of the world. Matthew 10, 34 through 39 reads, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against a mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemy will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Jesus' intentions, of course, were not to invoke controversy. But as he looked into the future, he saw the outcome of his coming he saw that just coming to earth 
was going to cause a disruption. But his plan is so much greater than the disruptions. His plan is so much greater than the anger and the disapproval of men. He chose to come despite the issue he foreknew. Jesus owned the trouble that he caused for the sake of righteousness. So he declared, do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to earth. Those words are to encourage us. Those words are to prepare us for the real world in which we live today. But don't let how the world perceives you. Don't let the disruptions of the world, the anger of the world against the truth deter you or cause you to be angry or to disrespect the mandate that God has placed on you to walk as light, to walk as righteousness, to walk with a spirit of gentleness. The Bible goes on to tell us as tough as it is to stand committed to the righteousness of God, when we waver for the sake of maintaining peace, not willing to bear the rejection, not willing to take up our own cross, God deems us no longer worthy of him. No longer worthy of an eternal life in the kingdom of God. As believers, we must be prepared to stand, and sometimes that requires that we stand alone. Get to know yourself and get to know God because there's going to be some times in this life when you stand on righteousness, you're going to have to stand alone. The mandate given to the children of God is to spread the gospel. And to do that effectively, we need to dedicate ourselves to learning tactics that encourage conversational evangelism. Don't always look for a fight with the word, always trying to prove somebody wrong with the word. That is not spreading the gospel. Learn how to have a spiritually intellectual conversation without getting angry, without getting frustrated, without demeaning one another. For this is the key to winning souls for the kingdom of God. Shut down the spirit of arrogance. There's an art that needs to be developed when committed to the spreading of the gospel. In Psalms 23 and 4, it tells us how to handle times when we feel like we're walking through valleys and may want to give into what society has deemed as normal and what God has declared as evil. This should be the declaration of every believer. And I know you know it. It's yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Believers are required to stand on the word of God. 
not seeking to pacify or please anyone, even their own flesh. Our conviction should be so strong that we're willing to sacrifice anything, that we're willing to sacrifice everything for the word and the righteousness of God. Romans 12 and 1 read, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of your son, Jesus, we give you honor. We give you praise. We thank you for your word today. We thank you for your directive today. We thank you for your insight, oh God. Let us hold it in our hearts. Let us hold it in our spirits. Let it define and shape and mold us so that you can use us for your glory. We give you honor today, oh God give you praise. Amen, amen, and amen. I thank each of you for joining me. And I told you at the beginning of the topic of studying the Bible that it may be broken up into two or three pieces. And God had me shut it down right there. So there is going to be a third part. And we're going to actually get into how to read and study the Bible and the history of the Bible and how it came to be. We're going to go a little bit. We touched on it a little bit before. We're going to bring things around full circle to help you understand the significance of the Bible and to also help you be able to share the Bible with another and be able to give them some facts and some revelations. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. We invite you to go on our website, submit your prayer requests, submit your questions. If God has placed it on your heart to sow into this ministry, you can also do that on our website. And our website is www.bibledeliverance.org. Be blessed. in